Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company this week and every week. And I'm delighted to be able to tell you the video for Somewhere Along the Way, the Camino song has now been viewed more than 50,000 times. It's a major milestone. And that, to a 52-year-old grandfather from the inner suburbs of Sydney, Australia, is astonishing. So thank you, pilgrims. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James, and the Camino is actually a series of pilgrim paths across Europe, ending at the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James in Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. The Camino is famous for its energy, its juju, as Rebecca Scott said to me in one of my early podcasts, and pilgrims, like my friend Maggie Caffin said in a later podcast, talk about thin places, places where you feel you're just moments from the spirit world. How can we not be inspired and carried by the spirit and energy of tens of millions of pilgrims who have walked the path before us since the 8th century? Well, my quote this week is from the Danish writer Hans Christian Andersen, and he said, to move, to breathe, to fly, to float, to gain while you give, to roam the roads of lands remote, to travel is to live. Well, my guest this week has certainly done her fair share of travelling, flying, floating, breathing and roaming. I mentioned in my podcast last week, I'd been reading the writings of the American pilgrim Rebecca Gallo. Rebecca wrote in 2013, a friend describes the Camino as the most Buddhist of experiences on the most Catholic of trails. I read the piece on a website called Busted Halo, bustedhalo.com. And I thought I'd better track down Rebecca, who is now Rebecca Weston, and she's on the line from North Carolina in the US. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you. So great to be here. You're a prolific blogger, so it's easy for someone like me to do my research. Just tell my listeners how the Camino came into your life. Well, back in, I believe it was 99 or 2000, Shirley MacLaine, who's an American actress, um, although I didn't know that at the time, um, I knew she was famous and she was, I didn't know why, but she was on a morning television program and was talking about this walk across Spain that she had recently done and written a book about. And I thought it sounded interesting and I filed it away and um, it took a while, but in 2012, I decided to take a self-imposed year off from working and uh, put the Camino on one end of that year, uh, decided I was finally going to do it. And so in 2012, I embarked on my first Camino, thinking I would never do something as big as this more than once. And uh, I guess my theme of my life would be never to say never, because I'm about to embark on my fifth one this summer. (laughs) So tell us about the walks that you have done, the Caminos you have walked. So in 2012, I walked from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port to Santiago. At the time, I did not know that there were that many other routes, uh, and I also didn't know about Finisterre and Muxia until I was walking on the Camino. And when I got to Santiago, my body said, you know what, we're done. So I did not go on at that point. Uh, Then I went back in 2014 and walked from Porto to Santiago, uh, a good bit of that on the coastal route. Then in 2015, I got the opportunity to accompany a friend of mine, a 73-year-old friend of mine, Lois. She and I did a Camino together from Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port to Santiago, and it was fascinating to do the same route twice, 
they were just completely different experiences, uh, but both wonderful. And then two years ago, I went from Le Puy-en-Velay to Figeac in France, and that is uh, my favorite one so far. Right. So I don't necessarily want to get into the particulars of each one, uh, but it's fascinating to me that you've sort of chosen the, the most popular route and then you've chosen some of the, the, the less, lesser known routes as well. So I'll get to that later in the podcast about how you found walking in France and, and, and elsewhere. But just before we go there, you're just about to head off again, though, aren't you, in a, in a matter I- of days with your father? I am. Yes. Yes. So I'm, I, this trip is going to encompass a couple Caminos and a stint as a hospitalera as well. So I will be heading out and initially I'm going to be walking uh, further along the route in France from air sur la into Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port. And then I'm going to volunteer at the pilgrim office in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port for a week. And then I'm going to meet my dad and we're going to walk together from Pamplona to Santo Domingo de la Calzada. Oh, Santo Domingo, to visit the chicken in the church. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, walking with Dad, is that something that you had planned for a long time? Uh, Let's see. After my first Camino, Dad saw the movie, The Way, and, you know, loves to talk during movies. And so would stop me every, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes to ask, is that what it's really like? And, And was pretty enthusiastic about it. And said he wanted to do it at some point, but it was not something that was on the horizon anytime soon until uh, my husband was unable to join me this summer. And dad took advantage of the opportunity and said, well, if he's not going to go on Camino with you, can I go? And uh, it just all worked out with timing and with dates and with our schedules. And so, so we're headed off. That's awesome. You, You wrote to me this week about your busted halo posts and you're always hearing from people who have read them. And you said to me, I had no idea at that time the staying power of the Camino, blog posts, my words, etc. And I certainly could never have predicted how much it would become a part of my life. So how does the Camino manifest itself in your day-to-day life? I think the biggest way it does is this idea of simplicity. I think so many of us, when we are on Camino, really fall in love with the idea of that there's your mission is just to walk every day. That's, that's the big thing. You do have to find some food and a place to stay. Uh, but you're the big thing you have to accomplish every day is to get from point A to point B. And, and also that the simplicity of not just in what you're doing, but also in what you're carrying or what you, what you have with you. And so those pieces are something that I try and bring, bring back uh, into my everyday life. But as, as many people that have, have done this know that that is something of a challenge. And that was part of what had me continue writing for Busted Halo for a while was um, after I finished writing from the Camino, uh, we decided that I would continue writing about how to incorporate those lessons. So trying to to keep some of that minimalism alive, I, I do like to try and keep things simple, but it's so uh, easy to get just so engrossed in so many things. There's so many opportunities and so many things I want to do and accomplish and things I add to my list. So it's a constant um, kind of work to be able to to bring that piece into my life. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing that that I've brought back. And then the other piece that, that continues is this, this sharing, this community. I've really become part of our Camino community here in Asheville, North Carolina. We have a local chapter of American Pilgrims on the Camino and 
We have events every month where I meet people that are about to embark on their first Camino. I meet people that have just come back. I share, you know, any information that people want to get about, you know, planning and all that kind of stuff. And, and just listen to, to people when they come back from their journeys and process that. And it's just wonderful to also be part of a Camino community in a sense, uh, even though I'm not physically over there on the Camino. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit. Are you a spiritual person? I would say so. I, I did embark on my first Camino to decide if I wanted to still be Catholic. I was born and raised in the Catholic Church and uh, struggled with that in my uh, 20s in college and whether that's the faith that I still wanted to be a part of. Uh, and so that's why I actually did my first Camino and, and found out fairly quickly that um, my relationship with, with God, whoever that was, was, was good regardless of which context it was going to be in. So I didn't have to do it within the terms of the church. So it was definitely a a religious, um, thing that I embarked on initially. And now I would say I still continue, um, to be a spiritual person. And I, I meditate every, every morning, um, and do different things in a spiritual realm, but differently from what I was doing prior to my first Camino for sure. How did you find then, as somebody who was on a a mission to question or find answers in relation to your Catholicism, how did you find the overwhelming Catholic culture in Spain? I mean, some of those churches are quite extraordinary, aren't they? And and when you (laughs) when you look at the wealth and Mm -hmm. and you wonder, don't you? I don't think that Jesus Christ had this in mind. So, and, and that is something I struggled with, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was now one of the other interesting things that many people note. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Is that in Spain, a lot of the churches, when you get to these towns, are actually closed. They're not. You can't go into a lot of them until the evening if they open for a pilgrim mass or something. So that was an interesting for, thing for me, first of all. And then when I did go in to see all the all the gold, all the um, you know gilded everything that yeah, they had in there. Yeah. That was, that was difficult for me. It's not what I was expecting. And I, you know, I, I probably went in my social studies classes at some point, but, uh, that was, that was a challenge. And just like you said, it was something that I thought, is this what, you know, Jesus would have planned <laughs> for 2000 years later. Um, and it's, it, it was, I, I wouldn't say I found it necessarily, um, overwhelming the sense of the Catholic presence on the Camino, but walking into a church, that was definitely overwhelming because on the Camino, you meet so many people that are actually not Catholic and some that are spiritual, some that are doing this just for, um, you know, some sort of enriching experience for various other reasons. So I didn't find the religious aspect of it overwhelming in general, but definitely when I was physically in those places that are for lack of a better word, you know, designed for mm. the religion of Catholicism. That was that was a bit of a struggle for me. You know, if, if you meet people um, who don't know of the Camino or the history of it, how do you describe it to them, the Camino? Well, <laughs> the, the first thing I describe it as is, is a network of pilgrimage trails across Europe, because initially when I first heard of it, I just thought it was one trail in Spain. So that's kind of one of my small missions is to let people know that it's it's not just one trail. It's this network of, of pilgrimage trails across Spain that all culminate in this 
town in Santiago, Santiago de Compostela. Um, and then I get into a little bit of the history about why it's there. And then when people ask me, oh, so are you religious or is everyone who does it, are they Catholic? I get into the fact that it's a lot of people, from my experience, I've met a lot of people that are in transition on the Camino. Uh, So it's uh, people who just retired or maybe just lost a family member or people who are, you know, just graduated from college or changing jobs or something like that. So I kind of talk about the types of people that I meet, people from all over the world, um, and that it's a great way to kind of step back and from your life and reflect on it all while stepping into this whole other world of the Camino and all these other people that you meet along the way. Yeah. You said to me this week uh, via email, as you know, those of us who have done it love talking about it. And there's something (laughs) special in talking to others who understand. So I'm sure Rebecca, like me, you have friends and family who, when you start to talk about it, they start to roll their eyes. But I wondered then, (laughs) what is the appeal, do you think, of the global Camino family, the Pilgrim family? I, there's something about connection with people. And I think when you're on the Camino, there's this automatic idea that people want to talk to each other. They want to be involved and and get to know each other. Not everybody. I mean, there are definitely people who will just wish you bon camino and and you get the message clearly enough, but in a nice way that they're not interested in having a conversation and that's fine. But there is something about being in this global community of people who just want to share and listen. It, it, It goes both ways. There are times when I'm walking and for, you know, a solid hour, I could just be listening to someone's story and just keep asking them questions and, you know, because they want to tell it to someone. Um, and there are other times where I just find, I feel like I'm talking someone's ear off, but they keep asking me questions. So I keep answering. Um, but there's, I say, there's not a lot of times in, in your, in our lives where we can talk or listen to another person for hours without other interruption. And there's something special about being able to do that while also being outside walking through this country that so supports this idea of uh, community uh, through through all of its uh, byways and, and trails and everything. Are you a good walker? Oh, I don't know if I'd say that. <laughs> I was not a hiker. I was not a hiker before this Camino. I wouldn't even call myself a hiker now. I tell people I do most of my walking when I'm preparing to go on a Camino. Uh, I never imagined I would do this um, the first time, let alone as many times as I do. So when people definitely say, oh, you must be in really good shape or you must, you know, do a lot of walking and hiking. And I'm like, nah, you know, it's it's all kinds of people that do this. <laughs> and, and not all of us are in super great shape and, and walk all the time. So so what about your father? Is, is he an experienced walker? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Probably even less so than I am. But I, I will say he has a ton of energy. So yeah. uh, he's he's kind of a nonstop uh, man of Italian ancestry for, for those people that have Italian ancestors. They know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Some of them have, yeah. you know, just this, this wonderful energy that just doesn't stop until, until he stops and then he's out. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, 
I don't anticipate him having having a problem really um, with with and and also I take my Camino in stride. I am not this person that has to get to the next town by a certain time to get a bed and rush to get there and has to get so many miles under my belt. I I go to enjoy the experience and if that means we have to stop early, if that means you know, sending our packs so we can make sure we can get to our destination without worry, like whatever it takes. I'm, I'm equal opportunity when it comes to the Camino. I don't have, you know, qualms about how people do it. So, you you know, you wrote in one of your blogs, and this is the reason I'm asking this question in relation to the answer that you just gave me. You wrote in one of your blogs in all your visits to New York City, your dad would walk everywhere. He'd say 40 blocks, we can walk that. At which point he'd take yeah. off like you're in power walking competition, except that was his natural pace. So what mm-hmm. do you think? Are you expecting him to charge off and perhaps for you to say, look, Dad, I'll see you this evening? <laughs> I think initially we'll probably walk together just because he's getting his bearings on how this whole Camino thing works. And anyone that I do a Camino, I enjoy doing Caminos on my own, but I this will be the second Camino I've done with someone else. And I only go with other people if they're okay with the fact that we may not be walking side by side 24 seven. And that is not necessarily my goal. So I think once dad becomes familiar with, with how it all works, it it might be one of those things where, you know, I could even see him getting up long before I do and just taking off for a while (laughs) and, and then getting somewhere and, and sitting and eventually I'll happen upon him and we'll walk for a bit or um, and get to our destination. He's he's an early bird, and so am I. But he's he's even more so than I am. So mm, how I could see him waking up early, yeah, and, and just wanting to go. <laughs> and you know, in those uh, those beautiful um, summer mornings in Spain, mm. when you can get up early and walk under the stars for an hour, it's gorgeous. So beautiful. Yeah, it's really lovely. Hey, you know, you realized after one of your Caminos, it may have been your first, that it was was tough for your parents back home. And that's an aspect we don't often think about, do we? Because it's not easy to always find somewhere to ring up or or contact people because, let's face it, you you know, you're trying to find a space and time. You're trying to log off a little bit. Um, and then you all of a sudden think, oh my gosh, it's a few days since I've touched base. We sometimes forget the people at home, don't we? We do. Absolutely. And I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, forget in the sense that I, I go for weeks without thinking of them or anything no, sure. like that, but, but you're right. You, you definitely, you are thinking of them, but some, and sometimes I'd want to be in touch, but you know, my first Camino in 2012, I didn't know enough about how to even use my phone abroad. Like I, I, I'm not even sure. I know I took it for pictures. I don't even know if I made phone calls on it. I remember going into a um, a storefront where they had computers and phone booths still, um, and you could make international calls. and And I called my my family that way. And sometimes I would just be walking along, like I don't even know when the next town is that I can find one of those places with which to make a phone call. Um, and when I did my first Camino too, there wasn't Wi-Fi everywhere necessarily, and I was actually. When I was writing for Busted Halo, I was finding hostels that had computers in them where I could sit down and write my posts. Um, And so sometimes I'd get to places and and they didn't have a computer. There was no computer in the lobby or in the hostel or whatever. So I, I couldn't be in touch. So it's it's amazing too with with technology and how quickly it progresses from from one Camino to a next to the next, let alone from, you know, when I studied abroad in Switzerland and when I was a teenager and long distance phone calls were so expensive and, 
nowadays kids can study abroad and talk to their parents every day for free on Wi-Fi. <laughs> so that's right. Um, but yeah. yeah, we do we do lose some of that connection, and and some people want that. Some people actually completely disconnect on the Camino, but. Um, it was definitely something for me as a single woman traveler as well to to recognize and kind of sit back and be like, oh, my my poor parents. <laughs> I take off on these jaunts and, and this one more than anything. I was just like, here's what I think I'm going to do. And then every email I sent was like, well, I walked a little further and I'm actually in this town or, well, I didn't go so far. So I'm actually in this town. So most of the time I wasn't even necessarily on the plan that I had set, which is how the Camino goes. And I'm happy with that. But from the perspective of parents, it can be pretty, uh, pretty, you know, uh, nerve wracking at some points. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just mentioned there about, I didn't walk to the plan, uh, town that I'd planned and what have you. Are you a planner? Are you a spreadsheet pilgrim? Do you work out where you're going to be days in advance and book beds and stuff? I, not necessarily. It totally depends on a lot of things. On my first Camino, I planned because I, I didn't even know when I did my first Camino, no one I knew had heard of it, let alone actually walked it. Uh, so I, the only people I talked to before I left in person, like on the phone, I mean, were people who somebody said, Oh, my friend's sister's cousin did that. And they would say, let me give them your information. And I'd say, okay. And I talked to these complete strangers who loved talking about the Camino. And I was like, these people are so generous. I can't believe this. Um, but so, so yeah, so I didn't have, um, a a lot of information to go by and I, I did some research online. And so a lot of the reason that I planned was in the beginning, just to know, I didn't even know how long will this take? You know, people would say, well, you can walk about this many miles a day. And I was like, well, can I, I don't know. So I started walking and then started kind of figuring. So that plan was, really so that I would know how to, how to even book my flights when I was going to go in and when I could be done by and giving myself enough time. So I'm a planner in that sense that I want to know, is this going to take 12 days or 24 days? Um, but once I have the plan, I'm perfectly fine with modifying. And on my first Camino, I did not book, I, I booked my first two nights and then that was it. But then in subsequent Caminos, I've booked a night or two ahead, um, because of varying things. So I can go either way. You're a, you're a teacher, right? I am. Now I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what have you learned about yourself? What did the Camino teach you about yourself? One of the things is, in my, on my first Camino especially, this awareness of how much I would say we, but to be personal, how much I judge other people, you know, you all, you all, everyone wants to think that they're not this person that judges others. And, uh, but we all do, it's just a natural thing. And I think on the Camino, I was really more aware of, you know, looking at people that booked ahead or that didn't carry a pack and all that kind of stuff. And, and my judgment of them. And, and thankfully, by the time I got to that 37th day and got into Santiago, I had really sat with that for a while and, and kind of looked at that to figure out what is it about, about that judgment? Why do I do that? What is, and I, I, I realized that it's more my own insecurities. It's not really about the other person. It's, it's my comparison to them and that kind of thing. Uh, so that has been, that was from my first Camino. My third Camino was fascinating because I, I kind of flipped it on its head where on my first, I, I learned to stop trying to stop judging other people on my third Camino, my exercise was learning to let go of 
being so concerned about people judging me because on my third Camino, it was the first time I had ever sent my pack ahead and I had not planned on doing that, but the friend I was walking with was doing it. And she said, let's just enjoy this thing. Why, why are we carrying our packs if we don't have to? (laughs) And so we sent them and I was very concerned about the stigma with that. Um, and so that, took me, you know, quite a couple of weeks to, to process through all that and talk with other people about it. And, and then finally to just be okay with the fact that people can think what they want to think. I need to be okay with, they can, they can do whatever they want to do. I'm going to let go of my concern about their judgment of me. You're good on you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's, that's what I like to think that I got out of that. It did, I, as I said, with the simplicity thing, it takes, you know, constant reminders to, to really internalize this stuff. Uh, it's, it's not like you just realize this and all of a sudden you're good. <laughs> I, mean, I still have concerns about people judging me about all kinds of things. Yeah, but, that, but we do waste too much energy worrying about what other people think. We do. Absolutely. We all do. Absolutely. And we do it way mm-hmm. too often. <laughs> and it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my third Camino was the one, the first one I did with someone else. I did it with my friend Lois. And one of her themes, uh, she always says is it's not personal. Uh, and it took me a while to, to really understand what she was saying, but she said, whenever someone says something or does something or whatever, she's like, you have to realize it's not personal. It's not usually about you. It's usually about them, but you don't know what it's about, but you, you can't take it in and think you did something wrong. What did you do wrong? Why are they thinking that? She said, you just need to look at it and be like, you know what? It's not personal. Most likely it's, so just let, let that go. Um, and that's been a big theme for me ever since I met Lois and it's come through over and over on the Camino of, of that idea of, you know, when that, when I got to that hostel on that Camino and, and we were five minutes beyond the time that we were supposed to get there and they said, sorry, we have no bed for you. Um, it was hard to, to not think that that was personal. (laughs) Um, but so it, it's a it's another good lesson that keeps repeating itself, but it, it goes along with that non-judgment piece. You know, I think it's fair to say there are not enough hours in the day for Rebecca Weston, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. So tell my listeners about 29 Gifts. Ah, 29 Gifts was a book that I read uh, quite some time ago. Uh, and the author was diagnosed with an illness. I don't remember all the details of it off the top of my head at this point, but someone that she knew told her that one way to kind of process through it and and get out of this funk of feeling all this sorrow for yourself and, and all that was to give a gift every day for 29 days. And there were a couple rules around it. One was that you had to consciously give it. You couldn't look back on the end of your day and be like, oh, yeah, I did that. I'll count that as my gift. You had to, um, you know, you might decide to do it in the moment, but it had to be a conscious thing that that's going to be my gift for the day. And you had to do it every day. And if you went one day without, you had to start all over again at day one. And I thought this was fascinating. The other thing about the gifts was that they didn't have to be a physical thing that you had to spend money on. A gift could be the gift of a compliment, the gift of a smile, the gift of a phone call, the gift of a thank you. Um, so it, it didn't have to be anything, um, you know, material at all necessarily. And so I tried it. It took me a few tries. I, there were definitely sometimes I had to start over at day one all over again because I forgot. And the next day I was like, oh man, I didn't consciously give something yesterday. Uh, and it was a wonderful exercise. And 
if anyone wants to try it, I would highly recommend it. At the time, they had a website where you could um, jot in your your gifts so that other people could just so you had an accountability place to, to write in. Yep, I did it today. Check here's here's what happened. What a fantastic idea! I'll find I'll find Isn't the book. It? Yeah, yeah, I'll find that book and I'll put it in the notes, the podcast notes. Um, so if you're listening and you're wondering, it'll be in the notes at the at the uh, at the foot of the podcast. Um, you and your husband Michael are about to celebrate your first wedding anniversary, and the Camino even made it into your wedding vows. <laughs> it did. <laughs> uh, any any man who married me, you know, knew had to know pretty quickly that the Camino <laughs> was was a part of my life and was going to be for the rest of it. So, <laughs> um, but Michael and I have been together um, for five years now. So uh, he has yet to to join me on a Camino. I have done a couple of them over the course of our relationship without him, and he felt that it was important enough. I I didn't know this until he was reading his vows to me. We didn't look at each other's vows no, before the wedding. Really? Yes. Oh yeah, my god! Yeah. How cool is that? That's awesome. <laughs> And, and, and so, oh my gosh, what did you think? I I, I loved it. I mean, I, I already knew the guy was was the man for me, and and <laughs> those vows just proved it even more. So he vowed that he would walk a Camino with me, and we tried for it this summer, but it didn't work out. But we will. I'm I'm sure we will get there to do one together. That's a great story. That's fantastic. I'm going to ask you a couple of logistical questions, Rebecca. Do do you feel safe? a young woman walking alone, and in particular on some of those lesser-known routes through France and, and what have you? I do. I, uh, I'm i smart about it. I mean, I, I don't – you talked about getting up in the morning before dark and stuff. I don't do that when I'm by myself. Um, I don't stay out late. I don't, you know, drink a whole lot, I, you know, in the evenings or anything. Um, so I, I have, you know, some of that common sense – single and traveler kind of stuff that I, that I do, but the Camino in general, uh, you meet a lot of people too. So I'm, I'm sure that I talk to people and there are moments where I pause and think, okay, who did I last talk to and what do they know about what, where I said I was going? Um, and so I, and I do more frequently now send emails out, to, to people or just text messages and say, Hey, here's where I am. Even if they have no idea where that is. Um, at least there's a record of it. I use find friends, um, on my iPhone. So my parents can now see exactly where I am <laughs> at any moment when I'm on the Camino. So, um, and I, I did just have one moment on one Camino where I just, I, I took a det- I took the detour to Samos and this was in 2012 and there was no one else on it. And then I got passed by a group of like four guys on bikes and they stopped further ahead and, and, you know, waved and said hello. And I, and I just, that just gave me pause for a second to think, you know, those are the only other people I've seen. They were these, you know, big burly guys on bikes that were obviously in much better shape than me. And I didn't worry about it. I just, it just gave me pause to think, okay, what, who knows where I am, what's going on, what can I do? Um, and I, and I decided one of the things I could do was, was chat with them. So the next time, um, I, when I saw them sitting there, you know, in the river waiting their feet and I just, I went over, said hello, told them who I was and just, just to befriend them. And, and it was wonderful. So you mentioned find friends. Is that an app? It's an app for people that have iPhones and you have to ask, each other if you can follow each other. I mean, it's also, you know, um, not something you necessarily want to give access to everyone at every moment of the day. I mean, 
but when I turn it on, my the people that I've allowed that access to can see wherever in the world I am. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so that's called Find Friends because people listening would have mm-hmm. wanted to pick that up. Do you get blisters? I have not, and I think my reason for that is that, first of all, I always practice before my Camino in the socks and the shoes that I'm going to wear. Uh, emphasizing the socks because a lot of people practice in the shoes but not necessarily the same socks. Um and then also because when, as soon as I feel a hot spot, I stop wherever I am and put moleskin on it. Um, if I'm in the middle of the trail, I'm, I'm the one you're going to see, you know, off to the side of a trail with my shoe off, with my first aid stuff out, treating my hot spot. Because I know if I wait until I get to the next town, it's by that point, it's going to be a blister. So I've done an informal survey of people that, uh, you know, friends in the Camino that have gotten blisters. And I've said, so did you feel it earlier or did you just keep walking? They said, oh, I just kept walking. I probably should have stopped. And so in my head, that's why I haven't gotten them. But I've also heard that some people are more prone to them than others and, and all of that. But, so what, but my recommendation would be stop as soon as you feel it. What's moleskin? What, what form does that come? Uh, moleskin is, it's, it's basically like, um, it's, it's a tape. And then on the other side, it's got a, a surface on it. That's, uh, gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. Some sort of surface on it that, that is a little friction against your, your sneaker, your sock or whatever. So it it just basically covers the spot. There's, it's not like a bandaid because a bandaid has an area that would not you know, make contact directly with your skin. This, the whole piece of this makes contact with my skin and I keep it on. Um, and, and the next, until it kind of starts rubbing off and then I, I will keep it on for a couple days, um, until that hot spot kind of just melts right down. And I get it at my drugstore here in the U S. Um, I'm sure you can probably find it online and such, but it's not for once you have a blister, once you have a blister, you don't want to put moleskin on it. (laughs) Yeah, right. But if you just have a hot spot, it's good for that. Are you comfortable with the lack of privacy in albergues and hostels? Uh, to a point, you know, um, not to stereotype, but I am an American, so it's a little different <laughs> than than if I was raised in another culture. Um, but but yeah, I mean, probably more so than than folks that haven't traveled and stayed in hostels and aren't kind of used to that. So I, I'm okay with it. I get over it pretty quickly. What's the first thing you pack in your Camino backpack? a journal. I enjoy writing and I like to write, especially on my travels. And I have become one of those people that when I first wake up in the morning, I write three pages um, because I don't want to get to a point later in the day. And then I get to talking to people and I forget about it and stuff. Um, I bring a headlamp that has a red light on it because the red light does not wake people up like the bright white light does. And so I, I just turn over in my bunk and turn on my little red light and I start writing. And most people are still asleep at that point. By the time I finish, most everybody in the room is awake. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, that's the first thing I pack. And then those journals, I imagine, um, form part of your blog, renaissancerebecca.com. That must yes. be a great way to process and assess what you've been through on the Camino, the, 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 the putting down on the page, the writing of the blog. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of my blog posts, if you looked in the journals, you can see the beginnings of them in the journals. And then I sit down and start typing them out and, and edit and revise. 
and and go from there. But it is, it's a wonderful way to reflect in the moment and to, and to capture some of those details. I've gone back and read things that I, I completely forgot about until I went back and read the journal. And so it's so wonderful to be able to capture those details as soon as, as soon as you can. You know, you mentioned earlier that you walked the Camino Frances in 2015 as, as you called it, the coordinator and walking companion for your 73-year-old friend Lois. What exactly mm-hmm. did you do? And then you mentioned earlier that it was different than your first Camino. Why different? And what sort of role did you play? So uh, Lois was one of those people who, when I first told her about the Camino, she said, I would have loved to have done that when I was younger. And then I went on the Camino and I said, Lois, I met people who were in their late 80s doing this. You could totally do this. Um, and she, you know, it took took a while to come around, but I, I definitely, she was one of those people that I said, if you ever want to go, I would go with you in a heartbeat. And a few years later, she finally took me up on it. So what I did was starting with, with preparation. So, um, I coordinated all the booking of the flights. Um, and then I coordinated her training and what she needed. So every week or two, we touch base and, you know, I'd tell her what she needed to, to get, what she needed to be doing, what she needed to be thinking about everything from, from walking to backpack, to hiking sticks, to getting some euros before you left. Um, and then when we were over there, she, as I said, had said she was probably going to send her pack most of the time. She had packed it in such a way that she could carry it because we also wanted to stay at some places that I wasn't sure that they would take people who had sent their packs ahead. So we did have definitely had days where we were carrying and then days when we sent ahead. And uh, so I coordinated that whole process. And then we also decided fairly quickly on that trip that we were going to book uh, a night or two in advance just to make, um, make our lives a little easier in the sense that we wouldn't have to worry about getting someplace and getting there quickly and getting a bed. Um, so we, we booked at pensions and hotels and things, and that was, um, the first time I had done that. And it was a bit stressful for me to get into a town each night. And, you know, after we took our showers and, and ate something, I would sit down there with the guidebooks and the elevation chart and Lois and I would decide how far are we going to go? And then we'd start looking up places and then I'd, make the phone calls. I learned Spanish before we left so I could, um, talk to people as I needed to. Uh, and so, you know, but then eventually we ended up meeting people that were kind of staying in the same kind of places that we were. And I just said, can I have your list please? <laughs> so I could make the bookings easier. Uh, and, and that was, those were two of the big ways that this Camino was so different, uh, is the first that it was the first time I ever sent my pack ahead. And my gosh, it, is the Camino a lot easier <laughs> when you do that. Um, and the second was that we stayed in what I, I call it my sheets and towels Camino, because that's what Lois said to me. She said, anytime that we can stay in a place that has sheets and towels, we're going to do that. And then she offered to pay for it. And I said, okay, <laughs> that's fine by me. Um, so so yeah, we had a completely different experience. And of course we stayed in places and towns that I hadn't stayed in before. There were some places that I, I wanted to stay that I, that I hadn't stayed before. There were other ones that just depended on where we were and how far we were going. Um, yeah. So in, then in 2017, you walked from Le Puy en Valais to Figeac. How does working in, mm-hmm. or walking rather, in France compare to walking in Spain? 
Well, the first thing that's that's different is there's not as many people from as many places. A lot of the people that are walking that route are French, uh, and they're usually on a vacation of some sort for a couple weeks, and they're walking those first two weeks of that route. Uh, there are definitely people from other countries, definitely people walking further, um, but not in the numbers that you see on some of the other routes. It's a different experience if you don't speak French. Um, I'm conversational in French. People I know that have done it and are not. Um, it, it just depends on who you meet. And there will be some times where you'll be sitting at a dinner table and not be able to participate in the conversation. Um, so that's a little... And not to say that the French are not friendly in any way. It's just when there's a whole bunch of people that speak French and only one person that doesn't, <laughs> the conversation most of the time is probably going to be in that language. Um and I think another thing that's different are the accommodations. I stayed in a lot of jeets at that point, and I stayed – I had a different budget on that trip than I than I have before. Um, and so I was able to stay in jeets and, and stay with a, the demi-pension option, they call it. So my cost included my night stay as well as dinner and breakfast the next morning. And so it was between – 35 to 42 euros for my bed, dinner, and breakfast. And uh, rarely do you have bunk beds. Uh, the rooms were maybe five or six people, maybe seven sometimes. But th- it, it was not the um, these huge rooms of tons of bunk beds that you saw or uh, that you see on the the French route through Spain. Um, in France, it's it's a, it's quite a bit different. And then the food was also the other big difference. Uh, my my meal was a four course home cooked French meal, and the third course was a cheese course, which I thought was dessert when I first <laughs> had my first meal. And then the guy next to me said, "Oh no, this is the cheese course. Dessert is still coming." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I, I love a country that serves cheese for a course and then dessert. I mean, <laughs> what could be better?" You know? That's right. So good, isn't it? The food is so good. It is. And, and mm-hmm. you volunteered as well as a hospitaliera. Tell us about that mm-hmm. life, that life of giving. Oh, some people that have done it, um, before I did my first um, stint as a hospitalera, told me that it would be even better than walking the Camino. And I would say it comes pretty darn close. Um, it is an incredible way after you've done a few Caminos, or maybe just one, but a lot of people do it after they've done a couple, to, to give back. It is... And like a lot of volunteer work, you you get so much more than you give. Uh, and I volunteered at a place, um, the Convento San Anton, which is about yeah. 40 kilometers after Burgos. It is um, in the ruins of a 14th century, maybe 13th century church. Uh, the, the albergue there has 12 beds. There is no electricity. There is no hot water. And it is an amazing experience. We cook dinner for the pilgrims every night. Um, we had breakfast by candlelight in the morning because, of course, there's no electricity. Um, and we just we also welcomed people throughout the day. Because it's a tourist site in the area, so we would have people arrive by car. We'd have pilgrims stop in, and people should know that the the main you you can't miss it when you're walking um, out of after Hontanas uh, before you get to Castro Harith. There's this huge arch over the Camino, and on one side is clearly the ruins of a church. The main doors onto the Camino are not open, but there's a sign that points to the albergue. And it's around the corner, and sometimes the hospitaleros will have the the doors open. And so you can actually walk in and stand in the middle of this church in ruins um, 
and it's, I mean, we'd have people that would come in and would, would literally just sit for hours, just taking in the space. Um, and, and we were fine with that. It was, it was there for everyone, but that also made it, um, uh, you know, a lot of hospitalary experiences you're, you know, after you're finished with your cleaning in the morning, you have a bit of a, a reprieve until two o'clock or three o'clock when the albergue opens, but we were open all the time. Um, and it, depending on who's running it at this point, that may or may not be the case. Um, but for us that we, we wanted to keep it open and, and we did, and it was amazing. Can you book at the San Anton Albergue, Rebecca, or, or do you just you take the first 10, the first 10 that arrive after a certain time? Or how does it work? Because we take, yeah, just, just before you mm-hmm. answer, I, I was, I was fairly keen to stay there, but uh, but when we got there, um, it wasn't open, and so we, well, it was wasn't open to taking people, so we just kind of kept walking. But that's what I wondered: how does it work? Because I'm certain there'll be people listening wanting to stay there. Yeah, and and I will say that that when I did this, it was two years ago, and so policies may have changed since then. But when I was there, um, we took the first twelve people to arrive. After whenever it was that we opened. Now, for for us, the the co-hospitaler I was with kept it open all day. So if you showed up at 10 a.m. and were the first one, you could stay all day. You could, you know, and and you'd have a bed. Um, I was volunteering in July of 2015, and I will tell you that most of the days for the two weeks that I was there, we didn't have our first pilgrim until usually 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Um, Even though we were open all day. Uh, I think a lot of people just walked by. I don't know that everybody necessarily knew it was there. Um, of course, we have no hot water or electricity, so I don't know that everybody wanted that. Some people did walk in and heard no Wi-Fi, and they left. <laughs> um, <laughs> and But the other thing is, every day we also had at least one person that had walked all the way from Burgos, which was 40K. And the, we were just the next place they saw that said Albergue, and they came in, and we said no hot water and uh, no electricity. And they said, do you, do you have food? And we said, yes. And they said, do you have a bed? And we said, yes. And they said, okay. So, um, and we were, we were only full one night of those entire two weeks. So, um, I don't know what it was necessary. I know July is one of the quieter months. I know September and May are the busiest months on the Camino, um, that route right now. Um, so I don't know if that was what it was, but there's no necessarily secret. You can't book. You just got to get there. <laughs> and depending on when they're open, you can you can stay. If I was to pick you up and drop you in your favorite place on the Camino, Spain or France, where would it be? Oh, wow. I would probably say it would be in Conk um, oh. on the Le Puy route. C-O-N-Q-U-E-S. Mm. It is a town that looks like you are still in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Um, I've seen pictures. It, is, it looks extraordinary. Oh, in, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I stayed there for two nights. It's a tiny little town. And some people were like, what are you going to do there for two nights? And I said, trust me, I just want to be there and experience it. The one of the priests plays the organ every single night. It is amazing to go into that cathedral, that church, and hear him. They have relics to um, and a, a museum called the Tres- El Tresor, um, where they keep all the relics. That was fascinating. When I happened in there, they were having a music festival. <laughs> so um, it's it's just an incredible 
town and to be from a country like the U.S. where we don't have, you know, churches that are 200, 300, let alone 600 years old. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have we have some old stuff here from the 1600s, but we don't have much beyond that. So um, it's just an incredible place. You've certainly done some interesting and incredible journeys. Is there is there a trip on your wish list? Just one trip? Yes. Yes. Um, I would love to go see Petra in Jordan. Right. Yes. That's my, at, at some point I will do that. But for oh. now I've got Caminos to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel certain, absolutely certain that you will get to Petra. I just wanted to say I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. I, I kind of feel like uh, the Camino family you know, you're a special part of the Camino family and, and your writing on your blog is absolutely brilliant. And I'm going to, when I finish and do my wrap up, I'm going to give the website address and so that people who are thinking of walking um, will certainly get a lot out of it and people who have walked before will be able to rekindle and relive part of their Camino, I'm sure, through what you've been able to write. So thank you for sharing and keep flying, floating, breathing and roaming. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure, Dan. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with with you and with your community. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. My guest this week is the American blogger and pilgrim, Rebecca Weston. You can find her blog at renaissancerebecca.com, renaissancerebecca.com. It's an excellent resource for potential pilgrims and a great place to relive your Camino if you, like me, feel at times the need to rekindle the Camino flame. If you'd like to support me and the work I do, go to patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins or danmullinsmusic.com. You might feel like buying me a cafe con leche per week to help me keep the Camino fire burning. The Danish writer Hans Christian Andersen once wrote, to move, to breathe, to fly, to float, to gain while you give, to roam the roads of lands remote, to travel is to live. Keep on living, pilgrims, moving, breathing, flying, floating. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along